1: Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
2: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. There is league. Arsenal condemn Manchester City to their second defeat in a row in the Premier League. Is this a crisis? Will they ever win again? Or does it all just write itself when Rodri gets back? For the Gunners, they did it without Saka. Martinelli made the difference, smashing one in off Nathan Ake's face late on. And that was enough for Mikel Arteta to test the seams of the tightest of trousers. Are Manchester United back Scott McTominay Four touches, two goals. Haaland-like numbers. Does that win just paper over some very big cracks? At Turf Moor, it finished Burnley one. Raheem Sterling four. Imagine how good Chelsea will be when the rest of the squad turns up. Two early Sunday crackers see some real spoils sharing between Brighton, Liverpool and West Ham, Newcastle. And it's Tottenham's best start ever, winning ugly in Luton, down to 10 men. They're starting to dream, and that's when it gets dangerous. Even Everton can beat Bournemouth. There's another defeat for Sheffield United. And we'll run out of time before we cover Palace Forest. Also today, Olivier Giroud in goal. That's heaven. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, John Bruin, welcome. Hello, Max. Hello, Paul McInnes. Hi there, Max. And hello, Nader Manuaha. Morning, sir. Morning. Uh, Matthew says, uh, given that Manchester City have two wins in five and that this is worse than Manchester United's current three wins in five, are we allowed to pass the crisis club baton across to our noisy neighbours, even if it's just for the international break? I wouldn't necessarily... Get ahead of yourself, <laughs> yet yeah, Matthew. Um, but look, Arsenal won Manchester City nil. They hadn't beaten City for eight years. They'd lost their last twelve against them. Um, Paul, how big is this? Is this seismic? How big is this result?
3: I think it's a big result for Arsenal. Yeah, and I was w- watching it yesterday, and there were just there was the first half was pretty. I mean, it was pretty stodgy game all, all all around. I think you know from a neutral's point of view. But watching the first half, I thought, okay, this feels familiar. This felt a bit like. I think certainly uh, the FA Cup, was it? No, there was a league, the league a couple of seasons ago and then the FA Cup last season where Arsenal kind of equipped themselves quite well. But then you thought as the game goes on, City will just bed the, uh, pin them in. And that's sort of what they started to do in the second half. And I thought, OK, well, maybe I've seen this a little bit, a little bit before. But then uh, Arsenal had the better of the last quarter of the game. They they grew into the game. They probably played the best football either side played in that period. They were able to hold the ball in the final third and and and... You know, ask questions of City's seventeen centre halves. So at, at, at that at that point, I was watching and thinking, "Oh, hang on a minute, there's a mentality thing going on. They do genuinely believe they can take this game to City and do something." And you know, the goal was the goal was lucky. I suspect that if it hadn't got deflected, it might have got saved. But at the end of the day, I just kind of feel, yeah, probably Arsenal deserved that.
0: Deserved, deserved, deserved. I'll, I'll come back to that. I think. Um, <laughs> I think. I think. In itself, it was. It reminded me of the community shield game. It was more like a game of chess, which nobody thought they'd be tuning into at four thirty on a Sunday. You know, they were hoping it'd be end to end, like we've seen in some of the games, some of the bigger games this season already, where we talk whether we're talking Liverpool, Spurs, or like Arsenal, Man United, or whatever. But it certainly wasn't that. I think it was two managers that kind of knew how to nullify each other. So I think there wasn't really that much in the game. And for as much as there were good bits of possession, attacking-wise, it wasn't great. Defensively, it was really good. But I think Arsenal bringing Martinelli on at halftime was a big boost for them because I think he's one of the people that represents their better form. You know, when it's him and Saka on the wings, that feels familiar. That feels like an Arsenal side that win a lot of games back to back to back. And he certainly injected some energy and pace into that. And I think it's a big win for their confidence, but I don't necessarily think it's the biggest result in terms of the flow of this season because even in them winning like Spurs are still top like that must be a nice feeling for Spurs to be watching a game like that knowing your rivals have won but it doesn't matter because you're still controlling your own side of things and I think from City again from so perspective like Arsenal did feel like they had more of an attacking threat towards the end they were going a bit more direct and I did like that But I think Edison made a save from Martinelli with a left foot shot one time and then the other one gets deflected in. They're the only two attempts that were on target for them the whole game. And for City, obviously, it's similar. So it felt like a nil-nil until it wasn't, you know. So I think it's a big win for Arsenal's confidence, their fans' belief as well. Because I think the last time they beat City in the league, I was in my 20s. And yeah, so... That is a a long, long time ago. Sadly, I wasn't. Great days, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But but fair play, like them winning these games, it's checking boxes, it's making them feel good. But I think they won't go too far over the top with it just because of how last season went. And it's good to beat them and to beat them now. But, you know, the bigger test will be later on in the season, I feel. I mean, it is the first time in
2: almost five years that City have lost back-to-back games in the Premier League, John. So I I tend to agree with Naden. Because I think the big teams will take points off each other, in title race terms, you know, City would still be strong favourites. That is still huge because of what City are.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, nobody beats Arsenal 13 times in a row, do they? <laughs> <you know? laughs> Yesterday, actually, I was chatting to some friends about how uh, I haven't actually been to a bad game this season. The Premier League's been really good this season. There's loads of, sort of stuff happening, except when I watch Manchester City. I found them really quite tedious to watch this season. Now, the, the Pep... A uh, jazz experiment has it just pulled to a, a a stall where it's this atonal sort of fart, and it's not very interesting, and it's just it's just not happening. And okay, the the big uh, link everyone makes is that Rodri isn't there. Maybe Rodri's the you know the the uh, you know the saxophonist or whatever in this this jazz odyssey, but I do think that Pep they mentioned it, the fact that they were both waiting for each other to, to, to spring each other. Um, almost adopting the Deserby tactics, in fact. And it doesn't make for it that exciting, because as I said, I think the Premier League, great product. But sometimes when those big teams come up against each other, they just almost cancelled each other out and it required an own goal. Let's credit Arsenal for staying in the game. Obviously learned a lot from last season, uh, a good substitution in the intro, you mentioned those tight trousers, Arteta. It seems to me Arteta and Pep were having a tight trouser off. If I was another Premier League manager, yeah, I'd, I'd be getting worried about this trend. Well, especially if it was me. But uh, you know, if, if, <laughs> you know, if, if if you're if you're say Potch or, or Ange or maybe Iriola of Bournemouth, you know, I could say he could run to fat. You'd mm. think, oh god, I'd, I'd, please don't, you know, give me this make this of a dress. thing. Because Pep, I mean. <laughs> Pep is so pert, isn't he? And then Arteta's taken it another step further. Um, and yeah, the celebrations, that was what I was thinking. How has he not split those trousers?
2: I mean, to be fair, it was Saul who said, "Does do you think Arteta wears reinforced trousers like Bear Grylls? They're so tight that every <laughs> seam remains intact. Paul, your hand was raised, up, hopefully to go back to the football, but if you want to stick on trousers, you can.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to just put foot... For the record, really, I think the ability to neutralise Manchester City should yes, not yes. be underestimated, even 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 in a leading team. That's it. That's all you. That's all I had.
2: No, that's all I wanted. I, I, a question about Rodri for you, Nadan, because like Matt says, is he the best player in the world? So you have a hundred percent record in all competitions with him. They've lost all three games of his suspension. They can cope without Kevin De Bruyne, possibly even Haaland. but they look. He says lost without him. I don't think they look
0: lost, but yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think I don't think they look lost at all. And I think they've got some really good midfielders in there as well. But I think those midfielders matter more when he's in there, you know, because you can see the relationships that he can form with people. And for him, he's not just like a number six, because he very much links the attacks, even if it's not getting an assist, it's like the ball that sets up the assist and so on. And when you've got a player that basically played every game last season in the in the club's greatest ever season, I think when somebody steps out, it is going to make a difference.
4: It does feel to me as if the City team is no longer about players like Foden and Grealish. It's about players like Rodri, about those millions of central defenders. They've become a powerful team, haven't they? Rather than the you know, the, the, the the more um, you know, creative uh, passing team that they, they were. I think that's, that's a trend that goes for teams that are trying to maintain control of the, of the league it, you would say that of Liverpool Manchester United over the years when they by the end of it, they were just sort of a group of big grippers just holding on to to what they had and um, maybe that's the evolution of the team
2: that's quite interesting in Pep terms isn't it because you think of 2011 and Barcelona and you know you think yeah, of they're that. All about 2 and foot and
4: 3 yeah. Yeah, and, yeah and that is
2: quite interesting to go to you know you know they're not four hulking brutes, right? It's not Liam Daish It's not four Liam Daches, <laughs> is it? But I see. Like, I love Liam Daish Let's be clear, yeah. yeah. Record, but like that is that's interesting that he has looked at the Premier League and he's looked at this and decided, well, actually, this is this is the way to win it because he could he could like mould his squad in whichever way he wanted.
4: Mm. Mm. Does
2: anyone... You make a great point, Max. Yeah. Thank you so much. Gosh, it's, fun being, it's, fun being, it's fun being a panellist, isn't it? That is great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was letting you land. like that. I think that's that's a good point, but I think as well for the way that City are, especially under Guardiola, it's it depends on the season, the game and the moment. So come the end of the season, it might be all about, say, bringing some of that flair back because in a couple of months, De Bruyne comes back in. and What does that mean then? In a couple of months maybe or in a month's time, maybe Grealish is back to full fitness because he's been struggling for part of this season. So there might be a sense of dynamism before you know it. You're looking at a team, which would look like maybe Grealish on the left, Bernardo Silva or Foden on the right with De Bruyne in behind Haaland. Like that feels super familiar. But at this moment in time, this is what they have. And if it's not working, I think, you know, Guardiola, You can get some stick for overthinking things and so on and overpassing. But for him, he just wants winning football. So I think if he discovers that this isn't working for him, then before you know it, there's definitely going to be a change. Do
3: you think there's a little bit of a... Uh, pressure on Phil Foden in this regard because I, you know, I, I was surprised to see Bernardo picking the ball up from the centre halves yesterday, certainly. But the city seemed to lack somebody knitting the ball in that final yeah. third, sort of getting the ball, you know, hard and belly touched it. And I kind of feel like Foden is the guy who, because of his natural ability, Regardless of the tactical instructions he's been given, you'd expect him to be doing a bit of that. And I didn't really feel that happened. And I kind of feel that's the little bit of a pattern this season in the games that he's had.
0: It's a good question. Having seen a lot of their games, like in midweek, Foden was playing centrally against Leipzig. It was Foden's Rico Lewis and they did very well in fairness to them. But then I think going to Arsenal, I think Guardiola probably thought Arsenal's real strength at times can be sort of that middle area. So he thought he wants to put someone in there, and he's put Rico Lewis in. But then the other most experienced person that can play that has played that position before might be Bernardo Silva, because there was a point last season and the season before, like Bernardo didn't finish out, didn't start off on the right wing. He ended up there, and there were spells where it was him, it was Rodri in the midfield. Except Bernardo could roam a bit more, and I guess they just wanted somebody who's familiar to play in that role. In you know, in alongside someone who maybe isn't as much for City, because Kovacic is obviously a very good player, but. As we know, the way that City can play sometimes is very different to the way that most sides play, I'd say. John, when are you sending Kovacic
2: off in this game? The first one or the second one? Or are you, or is he just like, just the right side of the line twice?
4: Second time, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. The first one, again, we're in, we're in the realms, aren't we, of... Well, on the replay, it looks worse than in, in real time, or whatever whatever real time is these days.
2: I think, I think, I think I know we're sort of past middle age, most of us, but I think real time is still real time. Yeah, John. yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> these kids and their but, real time. What
4: about this AI change in real time, <laughs> they have you know. But for um, the second one, um, yeah, I did see uh, you know there, there was a, a question drawn against it, but I ha- there has to be some recourse of referees are saying. You made this really bad tackle a few minutes ago. Don't do it again. That's the reason you got cautioned. And then to just go and do it again. Well, that's a red card, isn't mm-hmm.
0: it? Two parts to that. So I would agree that he should have been sent off because the second one, it's just like, we might get to it, but it's the same as like the Guimaraes one, same as the Alexandra yeah, one a yeah. few weeks ago. And it's weird because he's got, the way he tries to tackle, he's done it the same time, both times. It's like not really like a heavy tackle, but it's like you're trying to block the ball, but if you time it, like you're done for. But... I had a grievance yesterday and this might be me versus the whole football world. Yeah. And I apologize for this. When a player like that is coming, is walking off the field at halftime. Why are we saying he's got to come off? If there's somebody like that's playing in a game of football, that's on a yellow card, surely, surely they understand that like going out to the second half, they're not going to do anything. That's going to get themselves sent off. Whereas instead oh, you got to take him off before he gets sent off. Why is it assumed that somebody will get sent off because they've gotten lucky to not be sent off the first time?
2: The converse argument is he, he didn't seem to
0: realise. The, the, you know, like he, So that that So, how about time. once you realise yeah. then? So once you realise, once you've had good fortune, how do you then manage your emotions going into the second half? You know what how I mean? How do we know he has
2: realised? We don't know. Anyway, worth mentioning. De- well, yeah. he's, he's, always, he's 30 years old. He's probably played a couple of years, yeah. you
0: could say, for a couple of big clubs, a couple <laughs> of big games. Like, and like I say... I was hearing everybody saying it. he can't come out second half. I'm like, why? Like a player on a yellow card that like has played in big games before. I'm sure he'll just tinker in his mind because I'll tell you what he wants to do. Finish the game. Like he knows he's lucky. So you come out with a different mindset.
2: Worth mentioning, Declan Rice had, a, had an excellent game in in the sort of Rodriless central midfield. Um, and, uh, you know, money well spent at this stage. Anyway, um, uh, Killian says, should McTominay be United's second-choice striker over Anthony Martial? <laughs> Jim says, should Scotland be concerned that Scott McTominay has used up all his goals for October already? He came on in the 87th minute, had four touches and scored two goals to win the game. Um, I mean, John, the celebration, police were out. But, like, you're allowed to be excited about that. That's a, what a brilliant... Thing for Scott McTominay to do. Yeah, there were rumblings
4: in the deserts of Doha, weren't there? Over that <laughs> one, uh, from our friend Mister Keys. Yes. Um. But why not celebrate that? United have been absolute rubbish for weeks. Uh. And maybe that's a turning point. That's the point. That's something that Eric Ten Hag said after. I think you can live to regret comments like that. But I, I think you know, Max. Actually, that I'm a confirmed admirer of Scott McTominay. Have been for years. I've always thought that uh, he's underused, underappreciated. You need players like that in a team or around the squad who can be useful in certain fixtures. There was, a, there was this sort of joke meme thing, wasn't there, about Fred and McTominay. You didn't have to get rid of both of them. That was, that was the point, was that if you played them together and that both of them together, you play one of them, they're quite useful. Play both together, it's not non creator. So Fred's gone. McTominay, they tried to sell. And I, I I was against this. And, of course, they didn't get the money for him because they over, tried to overcharge for him. Now, uh, one thing to note, uh, his second goal was supplied by Harry Maguire. So, you know, redemption for Manchester United. They're on the way back. The title is returning to <laughs> Old
2: Trafford. <laughs> Cause John did say, Paul, that, um, you know, they've been rubbish for weeks. I mean, I, I don't think they were very good. I mean, they've got so many injuries. I understand that. But they still weren't good in this
3: match. No, they weren't. They weren't good, and and, and I think you know, there's a there's a there's one way of looking at it. It Goes back to the the Carabao Cup final, the run of bad form, um, and uh, yeah, I, I I wouldn't be taking too much solace from this result, um, and and I do kind of feel like yeah, once again, you you get this sense of even when there's a kind of a a positive narrative or story to be told on the pitch, right at the death, there's you know, the 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 underlying problems with Manchester United and the Glazer Own. Manchester United start coming out with with you know a little touch from Maguire. And the fact that you've got this player who has come through, you know, has been at the club for the majority of his life, has proven himself time and time again, but still clearly isn't loved at this club and nobody really knows quite what to do with him. And if they could get a substantial amount of money for him, they would have gotten rid of him in the summer. And to see that guy kind of like letting out all his frustration, which is how I saw those those celebrations at the end, um, you kind of feel you feel sorry for him. You know, they've got so many, they've got so many midfielders and they still don't have a combination that that works. And you've got people like Casemiro, I, I know the kind of the meme is that he's too kind of slow to play or whatever. Um, but you know, it was on on Saturday, it was just simply kind of giving the ball away over 10 yards. I mean, that's, that's just not Casemiro and, and you wonder where, where, the, where they are and kind of getting the mentality right for this squad full stop and to see somebody who really desperately wants to succeed kind of, but, but just not being used sort of, I think, tells you something a little bit. You know, I, I think United aren't in a good place.
2: Nadem Andre Anana didn't do a lot to change the Barney-Roney view that he's great at jumping really near the ball. You know, in a, he's sort of good... He does all the things the keeper should quite near it but not quite close <laughs> enough
0: to it. Max what a, what a setup this is. Um he's obviously been a good goalkeeper at some point but he's not playing well now for his standards. Like but because most people never watched him before he came here the talk is you know he's just not a good goalkeeper that's just not the case. I think given the size of United and you know the fact they're probably one of the biggest two or three teams in the world I think From a scrutiny standpoint, this is the issue that you have. Because say if you go to Barcelona, Real Madrid or wherever, Bayern Munich, they're they're like never too far away from just being fine. But for United, they're so far away from what they were that you've got all the eyes upon it. But every time someone comes in, the expectation is that, well, they will help you get back to the promised land. So he's receiving a level of scrutiny that most other people wouldn't. And when you're out of form, like everyone that's out of form professional, you have some eyes on you. United is every eye. You know, you don't need to... If you if you don't support United and you see someone not doing well, you enjoy it. If you support United you see someone not doing well, you're furious. So everyone's looking, everyone's got an opinion about it. And I do feel bad for him to a certain extent, but the manager trusts him. He keeps putting him out there and at some point, I'm sure he'll come good. And maybe he's like a really good derby day or a game against Liverpool away from, you know, them respecting that little bit more.
2: There was one moment where Neil Mopé was having a shot against Andre Inona. And I was like, well this can't end up in a goal because Neil Mope <laughs> is shooting, but it has to end up in a goal because Andre Anana is in goal. And I, wh- what happens here? Like we end up in some sort of weird <laughs> twilight zone. And the other, the other thing I thought was, there was a, there was a VAR equalizer, wasn't there? Just before the equalizer, United got it in the net. I can't remember the exact moment. And I was just thinking it was sort of the most high profile moment on the Saturday. And I was thinking, I wonder how many times the VAR, VAR were like, is that check complete? Because we'd love to get the audio of that one them going, are we absolutely sure? And check complete means no goal. Was it no goal on the bit? That's no goal. Are you sure? Dave, come on. We can't fuck this up. John, do we worry for Brentford? Or uh, yeah, was it, I, Is it sort of like there are four teams who are really bad? So actually it's not a bad year to have a bad year.
4: Well, I, I, I don't like that calculation. I think a few have made that calculation and got it completely wrong. Oh, there's three teams worse than us. Oh, we're relegated. And um, I think... Yeah, I am concerned for Brentford. You do wonder uh, if the efforts of the last two seasons, which they were fantastic, have counted against them. The injury list has piled up. Uh, and when you are conceding late goals, does that speak to the energy in the team? And it, it's so often. I mean, Thomas Frank says this after every game, <clears throat> but I do think it's justified in this case. I say, I say we deserve something from that game. And yeah, I, I am. I am concerned for Brentford very likable team, maybe just don't have the resources to, to to float for too much longer because I think so many teams sort of establish themselves at the Premier League and think they've made it but you've never met quite made it, have you? Not unless you are the very, very top or Everton.
0: Mm. <laughs> I think um, the idea of three teams being worse than you, that might affect the way that you perceive it when you have your head-to-head with them but when you then look at results on a weekend, and they've gotten a point somewhere that you didn't expect them to, that's when the problem kind of comes in. Like, you know, we, even as fans of whichever team you support, there are games which you go to thinking your team can win, should win, won't win, or, you know, it's just going to see what happens. And you know the teams that are going to be down there. You're talking about the newly promoted sides. You're thinking maybe Everton, like, Bournemouth are in the best spot. But then they play other teams. They only play you twice, you know, and they, they'll they do it. Like, I, um to quote, you know, when I was in the championship, when we got promoted in 2014, we had the best squad in that division. And we went through a spell where, you know, our form was like pretty good, but not great. But every time, as soon as the game was finished, I'd look at my phone to see how Leicester City did and they won. They, I think they went 20-something games um, unbeaten. So no matter what, if we were of a high from a win, it's like, oh, they've done it too. We drew, oh no, they've won again. But we felt we were better than them. So it's not necessarily as simple as thinking, well, you're better than them, so you finish above them. Like, that's just not the way football works. Every game is different and it might affect your mindset, but yeah, they need to keep an eye on it. Like when, when I'm saying to people, yeah, they've not won since August, they're like, well, I thought they were good though. like, yeah, they are good. So then why have they not won since August? You know, it's, it's an awkward question about a team that a lot of people feel quite nicely about, to be fair.
2: Yeah, if you lose your keeper as well. I mean, David Rayer, I'm not, I still think it might be a tiny bit dodgy, but like the new keeper came in and actually played okay, but he did spill that one. for the and Tony overall, as well. Um, Should forget yeah. the striker. Premier League's third or fourth top scorer last yeah. season. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, pretty yeah. important. Yeah, 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 yeah. he is quite good. Um, Manchester United paid tribute to Alex Ferguson's wife, Lady Cathy, before the game. Players, staff wearing black armbands. Uh, and That'll do for part one, part two. Uh, we'll begin at Turf Moor. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, uh, tickets still available for London, November the 13th. Ellis James, Troy Townsend, Philippe Beauclerc. Tickets still available for uh, Nader Manua and John Bruins, Double Act. Uh, alongside me and Baz and the will Unwin win Anecdote in Manchester on the 15th of November and the live stream, of course, around the whole of the world. 22nd uh, in Brighton be streamed for the rest of the week as well. If you can't make it live, uh, that's me, Baz, Nicky Bandini and Johnny Lou. Go to theguardian.com slash tour twenty three. Um, Paul Raheem Sterling was absolutely brilliant at Turf Moor, wasn't
3: he? Yeah, just like he was against Luton early on in the season as well. Yeah, um, it you know, I just on what am I trying to say about this? I I because I'm not really sure what I think. You know, I sort of have mixed, uh, complicated feelings because I still kind of feel that Gareth Southgate has. Better attacking options in his squad now. And, and, and I'm not sure that he he he's he's in that that first eleven anymore, which he obviously was, you know, two years ago, he was the best player at the Euros. Um, and maybe that's more about the competition than about him. But watching him on Saturday, what I just kind of thought was was the leadership of it, you know, taking the game by the scruff of the neck, doing what he can do incredibly well, and you know, just generating opportunities, like making sure that. When he was on the ball, it counted and I, and I think that that that's you know when, when he plays like that, you know you look around the league and think, well there's not many other players you can do that kind of thing
2: I suppose Nathan, when people you know when there's a clamor for someone to be in the England squad, you sort of you sort of tend to not have to face up to dropping someone else from the England squad. you can just keep adding to it
0: mm. yeah that, that is right um and i think with with Raheem. He's obviously a very good player. He's done very well, did very well for City and so on. But it's people, and it's not everyone, but some people are very comfortable just seeing him just not be... i mean, make sure I get this right now. Some people were never happy seeing him play for England anyway, think he shouldn't have been starting. Some people said, he, you know, he's only scoring 20, 20 goals a season at City because it's City. Yet still, there aren't many other people that have managed to achieve that same thing. And as we were saying there, like he was... He was in, arguably England's best player at the Euros two years ago. You know, Euros when they make it to the final. And it's, he has to say, so when he's out the squad now, they want to just focus in on other people. But I think there's still a part for him in that team. And I think it depends on the way you want to play. If you're going to be playing with, say, potentially winbacks or a fullback that's really flying forward, then you need someone who will play a bit narrower off that side. And that could be Raheem instead of being, you know, just like a winger as such. But it's I like to see him just taking the game by the scruff of the neck and he feels like he's been around forever and it's kind of cause he has, but he's still only twenty eight years of age. You know, he's got the feel of like a real veteran in his thirties, but he's still as I say he's still in his twenties. I think he's um I think he's a really, really good player. And when he's confident or no a point to prove, I think he's he's a huge value. And lo and behold, for some reason, you know, if he's playing well, Chelsea seems to be winning games and scoring goals. And can I just make one point? Yeah. Please do. So as a player that comes through an academy, you're always the academy player at that team until somebody comes and buys you. And when you get bought, you're just a player for a team that people have spent money on. So when Cole Palmer's taken a penalty for Chelsea, if he was at City and there was a penalty, I bet no one would have even thought Cole Palmer would be stepping up to take said penalty. When you look at the calibre of player that he's got around him, and that's a big thing within football, the perspective of you the way people perceive you as an individual, so it's good to see that like he's just a Premier League player now, instead of the young academy graduate that's just trying to find his way and be compared to like Foldens and so on. But like, that's Cole Palmer of Chelsea. I'm not sure about the chest tap on the badge because he's a Manchester boy. But but shout out to him because as I say, when the penalty was given, and Raheem Sterling, who's taken penalties in his career, sits to the side and says, "Cole, this is yours." Fair play, like that's that's the way football works. Doesn't get discussed enough, but yeah, he's uh, he's clear now. He's no longer just the academy graduate.
2: Can we have a similar conversation about Burnley that we just had about Brentford? In that, Paul, I don't think there are three teams that are, I sort of heard people say. Actually, to be fair, I've heard lots of people saying I've seen enough of Burnley and Luton to think there's something there that they haven't said about Bournemouth and Sheffield United. But where? But I don't know how you feel about. They just let in a lot of goals. Seems to be a bad idea.
3: Yeah. I mean, I like I like I like Luton. I admire Luton um, because they are just coming from such a such a humble place and they've gone so beyond where they should be. They're incredibly well organized. They did, you know, it's clear what they do. So um, but I think they'll be a bit short. I think with Burnley, uh, you know, they won the championship at a canter by playing open expansive football. And as a Norwich City fan, I've seen that movie and you come up to the Premier League and you need to have a different attitude, basically. You have to be defense first, I think, coming up.
0: So let me address this. Vincent company's is my friend. He's manager in the Premier League. I comment on the Premier League. There's a good chance at some point I'll say something that's quite biased, yeah. So let me begin. Noted. Is it about him wearing a baseball hat and a suit Yeah, I was gonna, gonna say Can you can can you
4: get one of his caps, like the Kendall Roy classic that he's got? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, With Burnley, like they're going to stick to their model, and I kind of respect that. And I think as I look at the goals that conceded, it's too many, and I think Vincent will be unhappy with that. But then I'm I'm looking now at the league and all the games they've lost. They lost to Man City, Villa, Spurs, United, uh, Newcastle, and Chelsea. If a a newly promoted team lost to all those teams, you know, whatever the context is, you wouldn't, say, be too down on that. But then this is now the point in the season where, well, what does the next phase look like? And I think that's where it will be of better value to judge them. Because a lot some of the games which, you know, people... Like, how many games have they had this season where people expect them to win, say, this is a game you should be winning? And the answer, some people might say it's Luton, which they did, maybe, but even though that's away from home. You know, they got a result against Nottingham Forest, who seem like they're going to be a solid mid-table side this season. So there is something there. You wonder whether the players' confidence is still there and, you know, they need to maintain some level of belief. But this is similar, I feel, to last year when Vieira was sacked at um, Palace. They had a whole load of tough games. And then he got sacked and Rory Hodgson came in. Then they were like, obviously he did a good job, but they were sensational in, the se- in that last bit of the season because they were playing against teams and they had games which they were perceived as more winnable. Well, I think for Burnley, that's what's coming up. And I think by the time the next international period comes, and just before Christmas, I think we'll know exactly who they are as opposed to who we perceive them to be at this moment in time.
2: What's your level of friendship with Vincent Company? Is it occasional WhatsApp, ring for a chat, or families get together in the Cotswolds
0: over Christmas? Could be any of those. Any of those, you know what I mean? That, <laughs> that thing, I, I've WhatsApp him, I'll speak to him, I'll see him, I could go out with him. like Family, close, like, I'm, we, I introduced him to his oh. wife, all that stuff, so... Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, okay. So
2: <laughs> Can you bring him to can you bring him to Manchester? We're trying to shift some. Tickets. He's working as he a, a
0: Premier League manager now. But like <laughs> as I was saying, if you ever hear me say like company out, just now we've fallen out, yeah. And until that <laughs> right. we are still got friends. It. Yeah.
2: Noted. Uh, let's go to the Amex, uh, Brighton two, Liverpool two. I felt I felt Paul like this is one of those games where everyone leaving might think, Oh god, we should have won that, you know, that mm. Gravenbert's chance, mm. the Jao Pedro one, and everyone's kind of unsatisfied.
3: Yeah, although I kind of I kind of feel that everybody could also be satisfied too. I mean, I, I, you know, yeah, Brighton are clearly... Yeah. You, they've had their expectations. The, the public expectation of Brighton has risen massively in the past year because of Deserby, because of the league finish. People expect them to compete in every game and they're still doing that, you know? Liverpool, to take a point... I know they've, they've had the sign over Liverpool a little bit at the Amex and this was, this was just a point, but a point against Liverpool is good. Um, that, you know, blooding... A, 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 another teenager in the centre of mid who was excellent uh, and then scoring a, a beautiful a beautiful goal I just love the the the, the instinct mm. of the finish just to know hitting this little bit earlier that's my chance um, and then from the Liverpool point of view yeah Liverpool rebuild uh, made some mistakes in the game but you know resolute focused scored a couple of good goals but uh, well, scored one good goal could have gone on to win it yeah it didn't but you're away you're away at brighton I, I kind of think it's it keeps both those teams on track um they both they you know think both looking upwards um and things to work on but yeah so yeah i i i, get, I get, yeah the three you neither got three points but at the same time at this stage of the season, I think there'd probably be they'd probably be good things to take from it for both teams.
2: Yeah, it's unlike me to be so glass half full. Everybody's everyone leaves hugging ticker tape falls from the sky. And that goal, John, I did love that goal. We goals that don't look like goals normal, you know, like that just that doesn't normally happen. That it sort of looked like a bit of a computer game glitch. The Simon Odingra goal, like, and and so that's why I liked it so much.
4: I was at Villa the week before last. Obviously, they lost six one. But was chatting to a Brighton fan, a fellow journalist, who told me, "You yeah, know, watch out for this guy." Not enough Simons in the game. I found over you know since the mm. era of Stainrod uh, and uh, Garner. Yeah,
2: <laughs> where are we going yeah. now? Simon yeah.
4: Barker. Yeah, Charlton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was there was Simon Minniele, that's not quite the same, is it? Really,
2: doesn't count. Uh, yeah.
4: Uh, but anyway, uh, but he looks so so good. Like just just. Again, Brighton seems to be able to find these players that just have these switch fibres, that sort of change of pace. And you, you're right, I hadn't thought about it like that, but the way he just sort of sped on and then scored, so that it just seized onto that mistake. And the thing is that the, one of the reasons that I think De Zerbi is so influential that he has made that style of football where you score by seizing on the opponent's mistakes, he's brought that to almost the mainstream. So that you see Pep Guardiola attempting it, you see... Jurgen Klopp doing it and both those teams were trying to do the same and most of the goals came from that that position, that that sort of a breakdown of play and then you seize on it and that's sort of Salah's goal and obviously the Harvey Elliott um, dummy, wasn't it? He, he dummied a beautiful goal and then was subbed at half-time. Mm. I mean, you know, he must have walked in and said, I've played my part and I said, actually Harvey.
2: <laughs> I, I'm a bloke.
4: Actually, actually Harvey, mate, uh, the washing goes that way and uh, it was, yeah, actually, do you know what? Uh, again, uh, I'm an advocate for the Premier League at the moment. I thought it was a really, really good game. Two good teams, a great advert, a great advert.
2: Nalem, that's a good question, actually. Um, uh, Even if I do say so myself, in elite level professional football, if you're subbed at half time, is it the same as the Sunday League? They just go, cheers, Nalem, have a blow. (laughs)
0: Um, I think it depends on the manager. Um, It depends how they deliver said message. Some managers are very, very like direct and literally say that to you is the first. Obviously, you can see I've been subbed off at halftime before. But like <laughs> they say it is the first thing when they walk in. Like they, that's the frustrated one. Or there's the one where like they're talking about tactics, the nature of the game, and then they finish by saying, Oh, and you're coming off and this is happening. But it's it's not nice, you know. I'll be honest. It's it's like, no. oh, okay. So what 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 now? But if they're going to do something that's like significantly tactical based on how the game's going, you know, you'd be a bit upset, but you'll think that you'll still get a game the next week. But if it's a case of like off you pop, it's like, well, oh, I suppose I'll just have to take a seat for a few weeks now. Things aren't looking too good.
4: Were you subbed as an academy player or a player that had been bought by a
0: club? Academy player. Don't you dare say yeah. otherwise, you. You're better than that. You're better. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Yeah,
2: I <laughs> um, uh, Liverpool obviously very upset about uh, Pascal Gross not being sent off that penalty and you know get your tinfoil hat on it's the conspiracy continues but
4: like nobody nobody knows the laws max that's all it was you know it's one of those things where the tv commentators missed it i missed it on the minute by minute for the guardian and when they show it you think yeah probably but again the denial of a goal scoring opportunity law does anyone really know that that well you, you, you could say Brad, Liverpool were unlucky there, yeah, yeah. Because he, 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 there's no there's no intent to play the ball. He's wrenched his shirt.
2: Uh, West Ham two Newcastle two. This was another good game, wasn't it? A brilliant finish from Kudos as well, Paul.
3: Right at the end, yeah, pure quality. I love I love how there's there's sort of like um, online. There's a kind of there's a you can tell West Ham are growing as a club because there's a sort of bubbling fan base now that's sort of like picks, micro picks over every um, Moisey decision and this kind of not integrating Kudos into the team quickly enough is a, is a beef right now. It's like, just enjoy, just you've got Jared Bowen on there, just enjoy, you know, enjoy it. It's going all right. Um, I, <laughs> conversely, I thought the way that, that Moise talked about the result afterwards being really good because they were playing against a very big team. I'd be like, uh, aren't you a very big team as well? I mean, yeah, come on. I mean, uh, you've been certainly you've been buying elite players from across Europe this summer, and I think that's what they've done. You know, that's a they're a team who have strengthened visibly in the last couple of seasons. They've got you know from I, I, I know Agüero has been going through a, a tough patch of late, but I rate him. You've got Paquetto, obviously could have come in. Alvarez, Ward, Prowse. You know they're a lot they're a lot stronger. Um, so and then and then from Newcastle's point of view, you know you've you've come you've come out probably one of the defining. Defining result, not defining, but biggest results in the modern era for the club, and you come back and you go to a hard place like London Stadium, and you and you you know you make the most of your chances second half to to almost get the result. I think you know if Eddie Howe where he was a few weeks ago, he's got to be pretty happy. Mm. Um, no, it's a, it just shows that you know that's these are the teams who are seventh and eighth in the league, are they? You know, it was a, it was a good contest um, and, and and closely fought with a lot of talent on the pitch.
2: Um, Newcastle made one change from midweek. West Ham made five from the Thursday night win over Freiburg. Like, you know, I, mean, I suppose, you know, if you're if you're tired, that was going to affect you. And emotionally as well, after that win over PSG, I don't think that's a surprise. And they also got very close, John.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, j- Just about, funny enough, it, it was a West Ham player that did the Cats by a celebration, wasn't it? In Kudos, the running and almost, and almost ripping mm. apart the stadium in celebration.
2: <laughs> I mean, not as angry. I mean, it's like I mean, it's a, a sort of like a sort of 4.1 on the ketspire, I mean, ketspire richter Ketspire's, scale. I
4: think. Yeah, but some goal. Talented player he is. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I don't think anyone should be surprised that David Moyes takes time to uh, assimilate talent. That's just the way he operates and always has done, I think.
2: Yeah. Um, Trippier's cushioned cross was ridiculous. What a player. Like, that's just... That is what a player. T- technically, I would say, as the footballer on this panel, I would say <laughs> technically very, very hard to uh, to to pull that out. But you just have yeah. to really just concentrate. If concentrate, you concentrate,
0: you can do it. Uh, I don't know. I've concentrated on a few things I've gotten wrong before. <laughs> but I think that was it. Was It was a great ball to him. It's a great cross and the finish is good as well. I think the only issue I have is like, Again, it stopped think he put his hand up to say Trippier was offside. And the moment he'd stopped to do that, then Isaac was in a far better position to be able to deal with what came next. And don't get me wrong, the ball that came in next was amazing. And yes, I did celebrate on my fantasy Premier League. Thank you for the three points, Kieran Trippier. Hell of a boy. Hell of a boy.
2: says, <laughs> do you think Spurs uh, League win trophy parade should travel north to south or south to north uh, <laughs> along Tottenham's High Road? Um, uh, Mike says... Arsenal has the best start to a season in club history, not a question. It's their best start in the Premier League, their best start since sixty sixty one, uh, when they won their first eleven en route to a league and cup double, which they could, of course, do again. And Stephen says with the Bundesliga and Premier League tables being what they are, is Harry Kane starting to sweat by in a third? They are unbeaten, just two points off top spot. Um, John, you were at Kenilworth Road. I um, was, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you had a nice time walking through people's gardens, etc., etc., etc. But this was Tottenham digging it out, wasn't it?
4: It was, it was. I'll just, just say, I really enjoyed Kenilworth Road. Uh, it was, uh, it's more a rabbit warren than a kennel. You know, it's just this sort of, uh, yeah, it, but it's fantastic. Actually, do you know what? Because of the the way that the, the press seating has had to be rearranged, I was actually sat in front of Daniel Levy. Like t- 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 Directly behind me was Daniel Levy. And I could have sworn, as Vicario Lecter, Late on to get the ball, I heard him shout, "Keepers ball!"
2: Oh, good. Which, oh, that's you know, good.
4: Yeah, he kicks every ball.
2: He kicks his heads every ball. ball, Daniel, Daniel yeah.
4: Levy, yeah, 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 it's fantastic. And um, and and do you know what, his boys had to had to really fight it out. I think, as we will find all season, Luton just lacked that. Well, as the commentators always say, that bit of quality to get the job done to score the goal. Uh, They were really, they gave it everything. They sagged towards the end because they'd given it so much. Uh, But um, James Madison, as Paul well knows, such a quality player. You know, I wrote in the copy that it was that sort of almost Gazza, Ginilla, Hoddle piece of inspiration down just by the touchline to set up the goal. Um, And uh, Van der Ven, well, you know, arrived at the same week that Harry Kane and all that stuff's going on. And what a signing he looks. He really does look a good player. Uh, But, I mean, and then, of course, you know, we do forget that Tottenham have a World Cup-winning defender in Christian Romero, who was outstanding. It was a great performance uh, in adversity. Bissouma, silly, silly boy. Uh, But, um, in a way, his sending off became a good thing for him because it showed there is another side to Tottenham.
2: Mm. Jonathan Pierce used the word shame or shameful like five times. He wanted Basuma to ring a bell and have a sandwich <laughs> board as he as he, and it's a long old walk. That isn't it. It takes about half an hour at Kenmore oh, yeah, Road, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Walking for hours and
4: hours. They're not very nice down that end when you get down there. It's <laughs> set off either. Yeah.
2: Um, uh, it's interesting about Madison, Nate. I mean, that goal and the goal against Arsenal. That sort of, I don't know if this makes sense. The sort of awareness of how much space he has because both times. Like the ball is not right next to him. He's like really using the pitch. I don't know if he's that's br- brilliant skill or he's actually kicked it a bit further than he wants to. But like that enables him to create the opportunity. That I think the, the equaliser for Sun and and that winner at the weekend.
0: Yeah, he's 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 doing very very good. He's very very good. he's we're talking about an England international who's been you know coveted for a long time and. I think I liked the fact that they went off the cuff with the corner. Like there's a general plan, but there's no way that in training they said, right, so we'll give it to you. And then if the defender's two yards to your right, what I want you to do is this trick. Like he's read the situation. And I think people that can, that have the ability to go off off scripts, I think there are times they're the hardest ones to sort of play against because when you see Spurs play, you know how they're going to play. It's not to say you can stop it, but you can try and create a plan for it. But then you can then get caught asleep by somebody doing something that's a bit different. And that's when the real talent of the players come in. And it was it was great the way he did it. It's good ball to Van der Ven and good finish as well. And like Spurs, they're a good side. I think they're obviously top. And I think they'll be in it for the long haul. I genuinely believe that. Barring one or two injuries, I think they'll be there for the long haul. But it did help that that game was against Luton because I looked at some of the chances that they were having towards the end. And Spurs with 10 players were good. They still had an attacking threat. But playing against a side that probably scored more goals, had a bit more confidence, had a bit more sort of like a standing in the Premier League, I think maybe Spurs would have um, conceded. But thankfully, it didn't matter. You get the three points. And like I've said before, if you want to be in and around the title titled sort of challenge come the end of the season, you have to beat the teams in the bottom half of the table twice over. So it's a big stamp for them to say that they've done it, especially with the 10 players as such. And that's why there were big celebrations. And fair play to them. Like, Madison, great signing. And it's weird like hurricane goals and everyone's like oh, they won't be able to score any goals they've got 18 goals in eight games it's crazy that the mm. way football works sometimes yeah. it like blows my mind it's like 30 leaving must mean that 30 is just never going to come back oh my gosh Spurs in crisis oh no the top of the league fancy that
2: yeah I mean Adebayo did sit on the ball when he had a good chance but Richarlison had almost as good a chance didn't he early on and missed another one as well so it could have been a very different game um uh, do you think, Paul... I mean, Nadem says Spurs will be in it for the long haul. A lot of people, you know, saying this stat, look, since the Premier League started, 28 teams have got 20 points or more after eight games. Of those, 11 have gone off to lift the title. I think 20 have made the top four. So statistically, it suggests it is, but I mean, every Spurs fan is going, oh, I'm not sure about this, what, Fulham at home, or oh, <laughs> this is the one we'll slip up.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is, this is um, it's, it's, it's something institutional, isn't it? That this, the Spursiness this uh, and can the will and the kind of steeliness of one Australian kind of overcome that? And, you know, what is great is that people clearly kind of believe it's possible. I I understand in Australia it's practically obligatory to be a Spurs fan now. Is it there's some sort of national government direction
2: honestly since i moved here and and i didn't have a clue who he was until he got the celtic job obviously and like you do a lot of interview you know radio interviews because the champions League on and everybody just wanted to talk to me about celtic and i was like why well, i've moved all this way to get away from scottish football no, i'm <laughs> only kidding the football corner but like honestly like the obsession with him is is extraordinary and i think yeah partly because in the women's game they've got sam kerr right one of the best players in the world there are no really good Australian men's footballers right now. Like there's just not, that has dried up from the sort of Kiel, Viduka, even before that Craig Johnson days, you know, like this, the, these are the teams that people support. They support Leeds, they what Liverpool, for all those, you know, so they do sort of latch on. So I think so many people will. And like, yeah, the guy is totally loved and currently, you know, with good reason,
0: right? Did you, Did you You said Tim Cahill, didn't you? You definitely said Tim Cahill. You didn't just say Kiel and Viduka, did I you? I didn't say
2: Tim Cahill because, you know, is he another of your mates? No, <laughs> no, no, no. This, this guy's not. I'm, I'm just trying to... am just, just don't want to get on the wrong side of Tim Cahill. Living in Australia.
0: I, yeah, I feel like Tim Cahill's pretty important for the... Yeah, industry, no. fine. No. Let's yeah, over yeah, him. yeah. No, he's irrelevant. He's irrelevant. It's fine. It doesn't matter. It's just Tim Kale. It's fine.
2: All right, that'll do for part two. Uh, part three, we'll rattle through the rest of the Premier League game, starting at Goodison Park. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Neil says, after finishing your excellent book, the Football Weekly book, please spend some time interrogating John Bruin about his hatred of dogs in pubs and make it painful, waterboarding, etc. I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. John.
4: Uh, yeah, okay. Well, no, I, I actually have a phobia of dogs. Uh, actually, I got savaged by one. Uh, oh, God. on the On the, the day that Nick Faldo secured the 1990 uh, Open... I was savaged ah. by next door's uh, Alsatian called Kurt, uh, as as and uh, and it bit me in a place where only invited guests get to see, <laughs> uh, and um, so yeah. Uh, but actually, the reason uh, dogs in pubs. Jonathan, uh, who edited the book, asked me to write this, and I think I wrote this over Christmas, and there had been an incident in a pub in Macclesfield that I'd had, where I walked in this pub to meet an old friend and. Uh, there were these huge dogs in the pub, just in the way, and this bloke was. It, you, know, you know, when the dogs are sort of like crawling around the entire, floor, you know, sort of. You know, and this this bloke was like, "No one minds, do they?" And I thought, "Well, I do." Yeah, you know, you just do that sort what? of situation.
2: I'm, you know, it's dangerous to talk against the dog. But it's not the dog; it's the entitlement of the owner. If I'm it's, lying it's, in a, it's, it's a, the if owner. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm lying in a park, and a dog licks my face, and then the owner says. <laughs> I'm like, no, I didn't sign up to be licked in the face. But I have a toddler that runs around cafes going up to all sorts of strangers. (laughs) And, you know, you can't be nasty to a toddler, can you? So, like, we're all
0: hypocrites. But I, I'm the same, like I've got no issue with dogs as such, but I'm not an animal, animal person. But when it's just assumed that everyone's happy to have a dog yes, run up to them. Yeah, that's a totally agree ab- with you, David, yeah.
3: Absolutely yeah. not not the case, God. yeah. Paul,
2: for the, we need some we need some balance here, otherwise we're absolutely yeah. fucked.
3: <laughs> you no, we're co-rating this podcast. I 100% agree with this, and I've been waiting for years to hear people <laughs> articulate this point of view. <laughs>
2: Oh, God. There we go, right? It's all over. Uh, you can get it's f-
3: over. Cheers, guys. You can, thank you. You can yeah. get
2: fifteen percent. Um, the co- you know the, the, the run is clear now for Lineker, isn't it? And his mates. Uh, you can get fifteen percent off if you go to the Guardian Bookshop. Oh, Link in the description: guardianbookshop.com slash football hyphen weekly hyphen book. Yes, John.
4: Oh, what I was going to say, is just uh, yeah. As as my neighbour said after the dog savaged me, if he had to run, <laughs> and it was a- oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was cheers like mate it was like a bear on four legs it was <laughs> um,
2: Clem Randango says um, uh, can you say something nice about Everton the relentless negativity about them on the pod is getting a bit much won three of the last four Dominic Calvert-Lewin slotting for fun deserved to win the Luton Fulham and Wolves games but didn't get the luck the way you talk about them it's like they're already down no booze at Goodison, him Their first home win of the season. Can you say something nice about them?
0: Yeah, of course I can. Of course I can. I think that first game of the season, I think it was against Fulham. And like Leno's had to like have one of the best games of his career and and Fulham get away with a 1-0 win. And I think you react to it from the scoreline. Like, oh, they've lost the game at home. But there is something to be said about the nature of performance. But then it wasn't that long after when they then get just like destroyed by Villa. And that's one of the worst games. That was a primetime game. Everyone saw it. And so you associate the two. But in fairness, they've they've kept their belief and they've had chances. Like I think it was DeCure, it was Danjuma. I've seen them in some games, have big opportunities. So they've persisted, they've persisted, they've worked hard. And you know, the difference they have compared to some of those other teams down there is like they have they've you know they've never been down. They have some good players in there that are underperforming, whereas some of the other sides that this is just who they are. But that's a it's a very, very big result, I think, considering the fact that they lost that home to Luton, um, which most people didn't have Luton winning probably a game this whole like calendar year. But yeah, it's a 3 no win at home is great, especially against a side where it almost feels like a six-pointer in October. To get the three goals, because everyone's desperate to be scoring more goals, it's a nice feeling. And they get the joy now of like two weeks to just think about how good the things are going to be once everyone gets back from international duty. Like, we're on the rise now. We can see mid-table. We're going to be there. We're fantastic. We are Everton. And you know what? Maybe they're right. Who knows? So that's my positive. Everton, are, they're, okay. they're um,
2: okay. Jack Harrison, that might be the goal of the <sighs> weekend, Paul.
3: Yeah, I think it was. It was. It was great. It was great. And and it, you know, again, that there's just the the way these things happen, isn't it? You know, you've got a new signing who hasn't really been able to get, you know, make his mark on the team just yet. Gets gets his first start when first opportunity that comes to him, he takes the confident option. There's not a bit of second guessing. Or should I? you know, put the ball into the box for somebody else. He just, first time, and absolutely gets it. Bang, right. It's beautiful goal. I thought James Garner had, a, you know, another another good game. Uh, he's a player and uh, a Premier League player. But the difference of having a fit dominant Calvert-Lewin in that team for them is obviously substantial. You know, not only is he somebody that you can build your play around, he just, he has confidence in his ability. He He is confident against, you know, uh, Premier League defenders um, and that sort of I think communicates to the rest of the team a little bit as well that you know they've got somebody they can rely on
2: I thought Bournemouth might have been a bit unlucky with the third goal that might have been a foul and of course the first goal the player slips John says in this new era of openness and accountability has Sidlow simply made an honest mistake on Iriola or is it part of a shady and impossible to define conspiracy um, John back to the are there three worse teams Dan question
4: yeah I think I think I had Bournemouth down as, as strugglers if it didn't work out for Iriola, and that appears to be the case, doesn't it? I mean, there's still time, there's still time, but uh, he's beginning to look a little bit befuddled by what's going on. That's a concern.
2: Yeah, Gary O'Neill Derby after the international break. Um, oh, so uh, that'll what? be big. Uh, Fulham Beach, Sheffield United, uh, 3-1. Nadam, as far as I could tell, Paul Heckingbottom was going to get sacked about five weeks ago, and then hasn't, despite them getting... You know, tonked for, was it eight by Newcastle. I know, Fulham weren't brilliant in this game, and they were very lucky. That Tom Kenny, I think someone tweeted. You know, that's the most amount of luck in any goal ever you could have, right? <laughs> um, but it, you know, it just feels so bleak for Sheffield United right now.
0: Yeah, it really, really does. And. You know, the, the idea of the manager being sacked, I think it depends on the way the club just perceive themselves. Do they want continuity or do they believe they can find change and with the squad that they have, can they perform to their maximum and be competitive? I'm I'm I don't know. They're they're um they're almost like the the team that everyone's happy to just not talk about because you just assume that they're just gonna be losing because you can't see whether they're gonna where the goals are gonna come from or whether defensively they're gonna be good. They'll compete, but then any team that, you know, concedes eight at home. Like as far as red flags go, that's probably one of the biggest ones we've seen in Premier League history. So, um, yeah, it's not looking good for them at this moment in time. But they need to have the belief. And fixtures wise, maybe it'll come against Man United at home. But it, yeah, course, maybe. It but if not, is. I'm sure Arsenal away the week after will be fine. Yeah, should be no problem <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs>
2: um, our thoughts, of course, with Chris Basham. He he, uh, that injury looked terrible, didn't he? He he posted it in. An update on Instagram saying I'd like to thank the football world for their support. Thanks to all my close friends and family, to Sheffield United for taking care of me and for their support in the process, and to Tim Ream for being there and putting football aside. I had my first operation to clean things up. We'll have a second this week uh, to make things right. Uh, a couple of games to to rattle through: Wolves one, Villa one, Naiden.
0: Yeah, uh, Neto. That's it. We'll say Neto, Neto, the guy. Like Wolves, they obviously they've been in disarray from the start of the season. New manager coming in, things like that. But then a win against Man City last week, and then Neto getting involved again in the assist. Like when he gets the ball at his feet, and he's just lulling someone in, lulling someone in. I think with with his pace and sort of like his aggressiveness in terms of trying to take people on, it's not just a tactical game for them. They've got something that's exciting there. So it's uh, it's been a good week for them, you could say. Yeah.
4: What's this, the strike? The striker that scored a goal, Huang. Huang, oh, yeah. yeah it set that record. You know, fifty years since John Richards. You know, one of those classic. Uh, Wolves' name. So, yeah, I, I mean, it feels like every week that I'm asked about that, I just say, Gary Neal continues to do a good job. And, <laughs> what good manager, isn't he?
0: I've got to say as well, Huang's got five goals in the Premier League. Fair play to him. Like, I was thinking it's Neto Show, but maybe it's the Huang Neto Show. How about that?
2: It was Roy's 400th game in the Premier League uh, at Selhurst Park. Uh, let's list them. We could do it, could we? What, starting with. I thought we could do all of his. When it was. I, I I had a look at his Wikipedia. Uh,
4: I thought we could t- we could do the other they could do the other managers. I thought.
2: Uh, let's see. No, I I thought we could do um no list all four hundred. I looked at his his managerial story is sort of utterly yes. insane and sort of credited with zonal mark introducing zonal marking to Sweden, and like he was known as. English Roy alongside some guy called Bob, who was known as English Bob.
4: Bob Houghton. Yeah. yeah. Bob Houghton. So in
2: Malmo in the late 70s.
4: So extremely. They reached the journey. European Cup final. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. Totally amazing story, and he's still here. Um, I mean, it's a shame that that run for Murillo, uh, you know. Uh, didn't come oh, off, yeah. and that Gibbs-White that was the cushioned volley of the day actually, apologies <laughs> to Kieran Trippier um, uh, but a point each um, Joe says, one for Bruin following Olivier Giroud's antics in goal for Milan at the weekend, does this confirm the idea that if pretty girls make graves, then pretty boys make saves uh, just in case Max, this is a Smiths reference that I thought Bruin would appreciate Yeah, this means nothing to me
4: Yeah, the superior version of pretty girls make graves is the Troy Tate version uh, rather than the one that actually appears on the album. So they did a discarded version of the first album. Uh, right. Much bootlegged, uh, but the only one that's actually any good, or, well, actually, they're all pretty good, but it is uh, that one. It's a more folky direction. With
2: Was it on, like, Now 6? Now That's What I Call Music? Because I only started with Now That's What I Call Music, 12, Aswad and Climby Fisher.
4: Were the Smiths ever on her Now album? I suspect not, but though... Uh, right. I, I don't think they were. Mm. No.
2: Okay. Well, I mean... That is a sign that they weren't really all that, let's be well, honest. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I think the, the, the
4: Smiths are a band whose popularity is far greater now than it probably was in the mid-80s when they are actually around. Even though they were big, they weren't as big as they are now.
2: But finally, Paul says, with Gary Lineker saying he started his podcast, because although there were some good football podcasts already, they were, quote, a bit journalistic and earnest. <laughs> is it time? Is it time you had some on some cliché spouting idiots and up the bants? Listen, we will... We'll do. We'll take a long, hard look at ourselves, and I, I can only apologise for the incredibly earnest last hour that you have spent in our company. Um, uh, but listen, uh, we welcome all competition, and um, uh, that will do for today. Uh, thank you, Paul. No, thank you. Thank you, Nadem.
0: Thank you very
2: much. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. We'll do an EFL pod tomorrow.